four of four down territory. That's two fours for you. Got another good one for you today. We'll be talking about the MLB probably not coming back. We'll talk about the NBA maybe coming back. We'll talk about the current state of Iowa football and talk about uniforms of players that play for teams at the end of their career that some people forget about. Fun little thought exercise for you. But first, Hank, tell me what the hell is going on with the MLB. Well, Kiefer, to put it simply, it's a shit show. Basically, earlier in the week, um, Major League Baseball uh, came to the Players Association with another offer that was essentially the exact same offer they offered them before this offer. Earlier, they offered 72 games at a cut salary pay, and now they offered 48 games at full prorated pay, which would pay the players the exact same amount that they would have made 72 games on a pay cut. So it's the same offer packaged in a different deal, and both of those offers have been declined by MLBPA. Today, uh, John Heyman tweeted that they were close, uh, and then Evan Drylick, who we support, we are Evan Drylick podcast, tweeted almost immediately after that those reports are not true, that MLB had just received that offer. Uh, the Players Association had just received that offer and hadn't really even read it yet. Um, so to report that they were close is not true in the slightest. But basically uh, what it sounds like is no baseball this season. Um, Rob Ranfred said at the beginning of all this that there will 100% be a Major League Baseball season most recently quoted this saying he's not sure that there's going to be a season. And uh, I personally have been in the boat where I have watched MLB PA and the MLB owners basically just do this dance where it's like, this is where we were going to end up inevitably. I have seen it coming for so long. And while it's sad that we're not going to have a major league baseball season, um, it's going to be probably one of the most interesting off seasons um, because of it. I just think there's so many things at play here. How do you figure out how you draft next year? The fact that players who signed one year deals um, are essentially going to be free agents again. Mookie Betts uh, is I think the most notable, interesting example of that. He was, he had one year left on his contract with the Red Sox, traded to the Dodgers basically as a one year rental. Um, and now the Dodgers are not going to get any games out of that play, out of that player, but the Red Sox are going to get to keep all of the trade assets that they gained from that trade. So it's a big win for the Boston Red Sox, a huge L for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And now Mookie Betts is a free agent again. And who knows, maybe he's a Boston Red Sox. And Hank, we were talking last or earlier this week about the MLB draft next year and how they're going to do the order, whether they keep it how it was in 2020 or they do like some kind of, of random draw. But mm-hmm. none of those really seem fair. Yeah, because, I mean, basically you have um, teams who already picked players in a certain order this year. Like, I don't know who had the first overall pick this year. Um, I assume it was probably Baltimore Orioles again or something like that. 
because the Baltimore Orioles are absolute trash at baseball. Um, which I mean, they're going to be trash again this year. So maybe it's not unfair that they get the first overall pick again this year. Um, but I just think there's, it's hard to justify allowing teams to pick in the same position that they did a year ago without playing a season just because, and I think ultimately that's probably how you have to do it because then you could end up with the world series champion with the first overall pick. And that's not what you want. Um, it's just, I don't know if you're, uh, there's no way Rob Manfred of all people is going to figure out a fair solution to this. Let's be clear about that. Um, but I just like, there's no way that you can ensure like fairness to all parties involved in this draft. I don't know if you have to snake it. That might be, that might be an option. Uh, but even then you like figuring out the order is going to be very difficult. You could maybe do like some kind of lottery with like the top mm-hmm. 15 teams and draw those. Yeah. That would be interesting. Like maybe like the like yeah, the worst fifteen. Like you could do it like in half. So you could do the worst fifteen and then the bottom fifteen, and you could do a lottery for the first fifteen picks, a lottery for the second fifteen picks, and then you yeah. could probably snake it from there too. I think we're. I think the- yeah. I think we probably just solved the MLB we just solved draft draft problem. Yeah, but I don't think they're going to listen to us. Oh. I don't. Not Rob Manfred. No. God, that guy's a dick. I don't care how they do it. They just need to do something because if we wait too long, then we're going to have to extend the season too long. And mm-hmm. the whole point of it being canceled in the first place was because of Miss Rona. And mm-hmm. if you're extending it into winter months of this year, that's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to say state for the record enemies of the podcast and Pete might disagree with this, um, but just so we have it out there, Rob Manfred, the I know reps of the 2002 Western Conference Finals, uh, Steve Nash. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, who else do we make fun of a lot? Um, we don't make fun of him often, but I just want to throw Vince McMahon in there again. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, that's yeah. that's yep, the yep. name that I meant to say. Um, yep. Yeah, so those are our four enemies right now. Feel free to keep, keep keeping track of that at home. So potential new enemy, though. That we want to add to the list, maybe. I don't know. I want to get your guys' thoughts. Kyrie Irving is saying after they figure out everything with the NBA going on right now, right? Kyrie had shoulder surgery in March, right? Mm-hmm. He's out for the season regardless. But now he's saying maybe the NBA shouldn't come back. What do you guys think? I, I don't think you can dismiss it out of hand. Um, I think he brought up – I mean, his argument may not have been the most well-versed, um, but I think if you're reading around the lines there and in between them, um, there is um, a much deeper argument that he's making there. Number one, I mean, you want to make sure that you're doing player safety to the absolute, like, like that's the most important thing. Like, if you can't have 100% guaranteed player safety, then you should not be having an NBA season. Because ultimately, I mean, these are these guys' careers, and I, I think Kyrie's point is that you want us back because we're a source of entertainment, but we are people before we are a source of entertainment. Um, And our safety is more important than you guys being entertained by us for um, what's essentially just going to be maybe like two extra months of the NBA. Yeah. I can can get behind that logic. mm -hmm. I think 
I'll play devil's advocate and say that it's impossible to guarantee a hundred percent like player safety mm-hmm. in any sport, even before COVID hit here. Like guys mm-hmm. can still get sick and stuff. I mean, um, athletes are still getting COVID right now. You yeah, but we haven't had a season for exactly. Uh, um, so we haven't had sports for like almost three months now. Yeah. So it's like no one's like immune to it, but I do think there are bigger things in life to basketball. And one of those is like, you know, player health. Um, I think it, it comes off in a weird way with Kyrie to me because he wasn't going to play in the first place. Mm -hmm. So again, not dismissing his cause by any means, but it's like, you weren't going to do something to begin with. I, I just, I don't know. Like he probably wasn't going to hang out in Orlando to sit on the bench. I get the idea behind it and like, I respect it. And I think it's a good idea, mm-hmm. but it, it'd be different if it was someone like LeBron or Anthony Davis or Kawhi, Paul George, uh, anybody see, who I'm was not... actually playing in the NBA and was healthy enough to play. I think it it almost holds more weight, though, when you think about it that way, because Kyrie has nothing to lose and nothing to gain by saying something. LeBron and AD are the favorites to win an an NBA title if the NBA season resumes right now, right? Yes. So, I mean, them saying that they want to play, like, well, they actually have something to play for. I think there's a lot of, I mean, you have these big name guys who are making millions and millions of dollars and the NBA pays their players well compared to every other oh, yeah. like, major sport. Yeah. Like, if you're riding the bench, if you're the 15th guy on an NBA team, you're still making, I don't know what the minimum pay is right now, but I know it's the best uh, of all the four major sports leagues. Yeah. Um, like, like you're not struggling like for football, it's a different argument because the fifty-second guy on a or the fifty-third guy on a, on an NFL team is making, you know, yeah. I, I mean, and practice squad guys are making less than that. But with the NBA, I, I just I don't know, I don't know. I just feel like Kyrie makes a lot of money. I feel like his voice is speaking for more th- like these big name guys that are going to get paid regardless. There's players that you know still only get two to three seasons in the NBA that Mm -hmm. aren't making as much money. And I mean, you want to be at full health for those two to three seasons and you get COVID. Um, I don't know, like three seasons in the NBA isn't going to pay them for the rest of their lives. Like the rest of these guys, like LeBron and AD are paid and good to go for the rest of their lives. Like, COVID could seriously mess something up for these yeah. guys way down the road, you know? But the whole argument about Kyrie is, like, the money thing doesn't apply to him. He's made more money than, like, 95% of the league and exactly. had plenty of endorsements. My thing is, if if there was going to be a player to unite everybody and for people to get behind, I think it would be more impactful for it to be a star, which the league actually relies on. If it was, like, LeBron, I just feel like it would carry a little bit more weight which in theory it shouldn't because the, the principle and the idea behind it is the same. Mm-hmm. But if LeBron was like, we're not playing basketball in Orlando, I think more people all around the league would listen up and be like, yeah, we're not playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. I just think there's sort of a weird stigma around Kyrie Irving. 
Could that he's, be because he thinks this is the Earth is flat? <laughs> That's the thing is he he's always been controversial. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, there are people who are joking that like. Oh yeah, he killed the Cavs. You know, he broke up the. He got out of the Cavs with drama. Left Boston with drama, which he did. And then they're like, now, oh, he's gonna, you know, destroy the league with drama. I don't want to necessarily say it's drama. Um, the guy thinks differently than some people, and like thinks outside the box and he speaks his mind. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just sometimes the way he goes about it. Like this is something I wanted to bring up. So the whole idea of like Kyrie floated out the idea of. <laughs> creating a another league that the players could be in just because I think you said the NBA something smells fishy and it's kind of bullshit the whole Orlando thing which there are a ton of regulations they have to follow and stuff just to be able to play basketball but then when it like got leaked that that was in the group chat Kyrie said that it wasn't in the group chat but then left the group chat with the Nets team apparently one makes you think okay you know if it wasn't in the group chat why'd you leave the group chat to begin with if you denied it, then sometimes I feel like he doesn't have full support of his teammates. And again, that goes back to the thing where I don't think he's a guy that the league would 100% unite behind. Kyrie's like, a bit of like a conspiracy theorist, I feel like. Yeah, he, he just yeah. has a different way of thinking on things. Mm-hmm. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, yeah, I think it's because of that, not everyone's going to follow him. Yeah. I just don't think Kyrie is the best at getting his message across. I feel like he doesn't even get along with mm-hmm. all of his teammates in Brooklyn. How the hell is the whole league going to go behind him? Which it won't I, for a fact. I think Kyrie needs a PR guy. I think so too. I think, I think he needs someone that can craft his messages a little bit better. We're four white guys trying to decipher what Kyrie means by this, you know? Um, so take it all with a grain of salt. But I just, I think even when he was like talking about the flat earth thing, he said he did that as like a, a, a way to prove that the media takes everything like out of context or like blows everything out of proportion, makes bigger deals out of things that than they should. It's just the way that he goes about things that I feel like turns people off. I think the message that he's trying to send is there though. Yeah, I think I think the message is there. To be fair, he does have guys that are speaking on his behalf as well that have mm-hmm. a stake in the NBA. Like I know Dwight Howard was among them. Uh, somebody else that was on the conference call. I'm trying to remember a name off the top of my head. It's not like nobody's with him. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of the fact that it's it's Kyrie saying it. And again, not faulting his message. I think he has a very legitimate point, and people should think about it. I just think that because it's coming from Kyrie, people are going to write it off right away. Mm-hmm. Which is what they already have done. You can't just write off someone's opinion. It's their opinion. Like, mm-hmm. I do think it's important to keep in mind what Dwight Howard said, though, which is it's kind of leaning on a different topic. It sounds like Kyrie was more on the basis of, you know, exploitation, you know, them not being prepared, it not being safe. But Dwight um, kind of made it bigger about, you know, all of the – current events going on right now he was talking about you know he would love nothing more than to win his first nba championship but he was talking about the unity of my people his people um the black community would be an even bigger championship which it kind of got me thinking too you know if if people are rushing really quickly to get the nba back is that a distraction from the larger cultural discussion yeah i think it is a distraction yeah like sports have and a distraction to this but everything it'll be distraction from covid 
it'll be a distraction from people's everyday jobs. Like that's kind of what sports are for, for fans is a distraction. It, it's a, it gives people a break from their everyday lives with the problems they have, but you know, it's, again, it, it doesn't solve any problems. Like sports don't solve problems for people. It just, you know, right. I mean, it, it's, it's why we have a podcast is because yeah. of sports, but I also do think, I do think that there is a certain way and I don't know how, cause I'm not a guru, but I think there is a certain way that you can use sports as a platform to speak out against, you know, injustices. And I think you can use it in a way that, that advocates, um, you know, for the, the larger goal at hand. And I think if, if they can find a way to do that in Orlando, you know, keep that message consistent, keep it there and not treat it as much of a uh, distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of potential to create a, a positive, you know, creative experience for fans while still keeping um, that topic at the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have, I have Kyrie Irving's quote. Um, I, Cause it's next to the, the Dwight Howard quote that says, I would love nothing more to win my very first NBA championship. Kyrie says, um, I don't support going into Orlando. Whether we want to admit it or not, we are targeted as black men every day we wake up. I'm willing to give up everything I have for social reform. Wow. Okay. So he's, yeah, he is on board with that too. Yeah. It's, See, it's, I thought it was just a player safety thing, but he's, yeah. No. Yeah. He was the social reform side of it. Mm-hmm. And again, people are concerned about Orlando for a variety of reasons. I think there are people who are concerned. Returning to basketball is going to take away and kind of distract people from what's really going on. And especially because, I mean, Black Lives Matter is getting more done than they ever have before with their current protests. So it, it, it's very poignant, and it's a very, I think it's a topic of discussion that people should be having. I do think, though, that the NBA is very in tune with mm-hmm. everything. Like, this is what's unique about the NBA is that they're very in tune with everything that's going on in the real world, too. Like, yeah. like they're very open to it. Like players are so involved in their communities. Uh, I mean, you have athletes that make silent protests all the time. I think that's what makes the NBA the like and Adam Silver um, the best commissioner. But I think that's what makes the NBA the best sport right now is just like they care so much more about just the sport obviously people are there to make a profit at the end of the day. Like people are profiting off the NBA. Uh, I, I won't be blind to that, but um, they're just so involved and they give back more than I can think any other uh, league does. And they're involved in the conversations. I guess that's, I guess that's the part um, that I, I, I'm trying to stress the most is that Adam Silver and the NBA are, are no way going to allow this to detract from Black Lives Matter. The rest of the world might not be the same, but I think it, I think if you're watching the NBA, you know, two, three months from now, like there's no way that these games are going to go on without bringing attention to the larger topic too. And I think you'll have a lot of people complain about it too. I won't be, I'll be honest with you. But I think it's right that they do that and, it, and they should do that. And I think maybe there's a compromise there to be made um, to make mm-hmm. sure that people's voices are being heard and while still, ha- still having this form of entertainment. But I, I agree, though, that the Adam Silver in the NBA is, I would say, the most progressive by far at yes, any, out of any of the major uh, like North American sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, just in, all, in all facets, though, because you've got baseball now that's, I think – Baseball is so stuck in the past. I didn't mention this earlier 
I am not surprised whatsoever that baseball, Major League Baseball, is having its issues. Any like again, I think the MLB is just kind of stuck in the past, especially with this stuff, and it's just a dead fight between millionaires and billionaires just going back and forth about who who has the money versus I think other leagues and stuff are a little bit more open to change. I think the NFL is slowly getting there, but the NBA is kind of that pioneer where, Mm -hmm. again, it's experimenting with all these different rules and formats just to be able to resume its season. I don't see the league not allowing players to speak out more or do something. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you'll see some form of protests or different messages in the season mm-hmm. um i think you can almost guarantee that uh you know that lebron chris paul and noah are all going to do something yes yeah, yeah, coming back can be, be used as a platform yes exactly. yeah like sports like we talked about it they are a distraction but i think that it also has a captive audience though i don't think the nba is just going to stand with its players i think it's going to elevate its players and give a hand more than like we've seen any other league do before. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome because they're literally the most capable league of doing so. Yeah. Exactly. All I can see the NBA doing is amplifying player voices at this time. I mean, that's, uh, that's the beautiful thing between like the difference between the NBA and the MLB is like the MLB does not want their players to have a personality, but the NBA, like you have access to every single player. Like yeah. it's, unprecedented the amount of access you have to these guys and and you have that a little bit in the NFL too but I just feel like I mean the NBA has never tried to like silence one of their players and maybe they have in the past in in this new era NFL went hard after Colin Kaepernick you can't convince me that they didn't but the NBA like like you said Adam you hit the nail on the head is is almost the complete opposite where like if a player has something to say like like they they stand with their players very much so. They know it's a players league. The NBA is by far a players league compared to others because it's guys people tune in to watch certain players play. They'll turn on an NBA game because LeBron is playing mm-hmm. or you know Kawhi or somebody Giannis, Luka Doncic. I think you see that more than any other sport. In baseball, mm-hmm. I will be 100% honest, if I saw Mike Trout on the street, I probably could not tell you who he is. And he's best baseball's best player. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a personality too. The MLB just refuses yeah. to market their players. It's the biggest issue in the major league baseball today. People yeah. say that there's rate of play issues. Maybe like if you don't like watching a slow baseball game, baseball is just not your sport. Like you don't change the sport to try and get people who aren't interested in your sport to watch it because that's just going to turn off the viewers that you already have. You just need to market the players and the things you do have in different ways if you want people to tune into the sport. Exactly. And I, I, it's, it's not like they have to cater to a new demographic. Baseball is still mm-hmm. a popular sport to be played among kids. Mm-hmm. It's just like you were saying, they don't, they don't market well. It's not as accessible because TV-wise, they have those blackouts all the time. So even if like, you're yes. in an area, you can't watch your team. It is absolutely unheard of. Like I can't imagine... Well, I can't imagine because that's what baseball is, but I don't live in Connecticut anymore, so I don't get affected by those blackouts. Like, the Red Sox are on in Iowa. Like, I can watch them play, unless they're playing the Cubs. Because if they're playing the Cubs, that game's not going to be on TV. That's going to be a part of the blackout. 
the fact that you can't watch local sports for free, like the teams that you want to watch play, the teams that you cheer for, just because them will be like, all right, like this is what people will pay for because this is this is their team. This is like they'll pay money to watch their team even at home. Well, you were wrong and you still do it. It's ridiculous. I hate I hate the blackouts so much. I know we, oh my joked, God. we joked about how we would fix golf. We were talking about the match and stuff a couple mm-hmm. episodes ago. I think baseball is the one sport that just needs to be fixed and not necessarily the sport itself, but again, the presentation, the marketing, the people behind it, there's, it needs an overhaul. It needs a facelift. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've enjoyed watching spring training more recently than I have watching like the regular baseball season. I will say the major league baseball postseason is my favorite postseason in all of sports. Um, that's a bit of a hot take, but I just, I love it so much. It's um, the only MLB I watch is postseason. It, like, I don't know. I feel like it tells a story unlike any other. Like, I don't know. I, there's that aspect to everything, but I just think there's so much more. The slow pace of an MLB postseason game, I don't know. It's almost like this, like, slow burn. It's, like, it's mm-hmm. almost like pageantry to me. Like, just, I don't know. An MLB postseason game is just, like, it's master. It's a masterpiece to me. It's art. But – the things that they do in spring training, like they put mics on players out in the outfield, like they'll yeah. interview players in the middle of games. Like it's very, very interesting. And I, obviously I don't know if you can do that. Like they interview players in the middle oh, of their bats. Like, like it's so, so fun to watch spring training right now. And it's it, definitely it is, possible to do it. It's mm-hmm. just the MLB doesn't want to. Yeah. I think the exactly. players would be all about it because guess what? You have a mic on you. All of a sudden your brand is even more elevated and you're just mm-hmm. essentially like, opening up a national audience to who you are and you can joke around, you can be serious, you can do whatever you want, but you at least have that option. And Rob Manfred doesn't want players to have their own brand. Give it and and here's why. Because and, and ultimately that's what's helped the MLB owners in all in, in the talks here because a lot of people are taking the MLB owners side. But once you start giving your players a voice and you start giving them a face and and a personality, well it's harder to look at them as just a baseball player. And I think mm-hmm. you see a lot of that in the NBA. I think that's why the NBA is so successful right now. Like you said, you couldn't recognize Mike Trout walking down the street and he's not only is he the best baseball player right now, he's one of the best baseball players of all time. Like he is a generational talent. He is Babe Ruth. He is Hank Aaron. Like he is insane how good this guy is. And the major league baseball is pissing themselves. Like just, absolutely pissing it away it, it's very sad to see and i think that I, the most mike trout you will see is him hitting a bomb at top golf on twitter yeah mm-hmm. that's more mike trout marketing than the mlb has ever done exactly mm-hmm. exactly there was that one let the kids play commercial mm-hmm. but outside of that literally nothing and it's mm-hmm. insane and that let the kids play commercial so entertaining. Like, like you just saw a little bit of Mike. Like, yeah. Oh my god! Like, there's so many entertaining baseball players right now. You see, Puig. Um, actually, I don't know if he's on a a, a team right now. Puig, your friend. I think he's still a free agent technically. I mean, Mookie Betts is so entertaining. Um, I don't like the guy, but Aaron Judge has a a very, yeah. I think, very fun personality. 
um, I, I don't know. Like you just, you could go to any major league team and you can find somebody entertaining enough that like you could build a brand off of them. Oh yeah. Throw in like the, the managers and stuff too. If you had a mic on everybody, I don't, I don't need it to be a hot mic. You can bleep out certain things, but mm-hmm. just to like hear the conversation, I think that's like the first step in getting somewhat toward a player league. But I don't think Major League Baseball will ever be a player's league. So basically, we're never getting the MLB back. Not the way that things are currently. No. It's safe to say. So aside from the MLB, um, we're actually going to talk about Iowa football specifically. All four of us are alumni of the University of Iowa. There's a lot going down right now. Adam, do you want to take it away from here? So there's been a topic in the news lately. That uh, surrounding Iowa and the football program and some of its coaches. Uh, the other day, Chris Doyle, Iowa's strength and conditioning coach and also the executive director of football, I guess is also his title. Uh, he and the university reached a separation agreement because, you know, there were some things that weren't good going on in the program. There's accusations of racial disparities and almost like harassment or bullying. So we figured who else better to bring on the show to talk about Iowa football than Lucy Rodine. Lucy, thank you for joining the Four Down Territory podcast. We're happy to have you on. Thanks for having me. Lucy, before we start off, you want to plug all your social media so people know where to find you? Yeah, so you can find me um, on Twitter at Lucy Rodine TV. Um, that's definitely my best account, the one that does the best and is really funny. The rest aren't that great. Um, so you can follow me on Instagram if you're dying to at Lucy underscore Rodine, but it's not funny content. Um, and then just like music on my stories. Uh, you can go to my website, LucyRodine.com, and I also have a professional Facebook page that you can like. So there's a lot of avenues if you really want to follow me. Do you have any burner accounts you want people to know of that they can follow as well? Um, yes. If you'll go to Spartan Avenue or <laughs> at Barstool, Iowa State, those are my burner accounts. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but in all seriousness, Lucy, we wanted to get kind of your opinion since you're, you're one of the Iowa Twitter personalities. Uh, most Iowa fans know you. <laughs> he just sneezed. <laughs> I um, muted my mic, though. <laughs> I respect that. So nice. <laughs> um, no, what I was saying is that um, you know, Lucy's one of if you're if you're an Iowa fan and you're on Twitter, like chances are you probably follow Lucy. She's got like close to six thousand followers on Twitter. Um, I haven't pulled up right now. You're at five thousand eight hundred ninety at the time of recording. So um, <laughs> what what are your five hundred and five thousand eight hundred and ninety two after this episode airs? Oh, <laughs> It's it's one follower at a time. You, know, you really got to take it person by person, account by account. Hey, small steps. Lucy, we're just kind of curious, like, what are your thoughts, I guess, on the whole situation? Um, and, like, kind of how do you see the aftermath of this playing out? I think that it was clear from what we saw on Twitter that there was not a spot for Chris Doyle in Iowa football anymore. Um, there were dozens and dozens of accounts, and some of them seemed like, okay, this guy is – a bully he's I mean for lack of a better term just a dick like straight harassment to 
wow, he's really racially insensitive. He really does not know where the line is because he's crossing it all the time. Um, when you have all these former players, especially ones who have super reputable reputations, like James Daniels, Mike Daniels, like coming forward, you have to acknowledge that. So I think Iowa definitely did the right thing in getting rid of him. You had to do it. Chris Doyle really should have kept his mouth shut when it comes to that statement. Um, I thought that was just a really bad idea on his part. And yeah, I would just say that Iowa football is in a spot right now where they can kind of be a pioneer for college football in this new era of time. So it seems like the teams together, the letting players back on social media has seemed to be like a really strong start right now. Minus Keith Duncan's wild Twitter. Um, But I love him. He's so he's something, but Iowa has a chance to really take the darkest history of Hawkeye football is, is last week. Like that's the darkest spot Iowa football has ever seen. Um, And really kind of pioneer that into a new era. Um, When I made my first, I made like a video um, before Iowa let Chris Doyle go about what I think Iowa needed to do, which was get rid of him. And I said, I didn't want Iowa to be Michigan state. Kind of what I meant by that is if you look at the Larry Nassar situation with Michigan state, that athletics department handled that horribly. They were, they took forever to handle it. They, they just did not know what they were doing and it still haunts them to this day, whether they want to admit it or not. Luke fickle, their top coaching candidate turned them down because he said there was a culture problem at MSU because of a scandal that happened years and years and years ago that they didn't handle appropriately. And Iowa is in that same spot. I don't think it's the same level of severity, but they're in the same spot where they have a scandal that can really define their program right now. And it seems like they're taking the right steps to avoid that happening. And I think Iowa moved about as quickly as that program would in terms of making that decision. Like, I think the first tweet was from James Daniels. I think it was on like June 5th. And then they reached the separation agreement with him on the 15th. So, Mm -hmm. you know, about like 10 days. Um, And he was on, he was on leave like the very next day. Yeah. Um, so, and again, you, the, there's an ongoing investigation and that's not done, but at the same time, I feel like that was one thing that you, Iowa had to deal with right away was figure out what to do with Chris Doyle. And obviously while it didn't come, the decision didn't come within a day or two, that would be a rash decision. If you look at it from either, either way, like you want to do your due diligence as a program to like actually look into this, and talk to some of these former players and stuff, um, which I think it's, it is important that, you know, Iowa got that input from former players. Lucy, let me ask you this. Um, you said that Iowa's going to pioneer this movement. What's the next step for them to take in your eyes to really drive the program forward? I think what they started by one, having that, that kind of, former player input with with Mike Daniels is he's the head of the task force I'm not sure the proper name for it I think that is an awesome first step I think Iowa needs to be incredibly public about what they're doing and that's not something we're used to with the Iowa football program they're very keep everything in house which is kind of how it got to this point so I think what Iowa needs to do is I mean move forward with those 
those conversations. I love having Mike Daniels as a part of the program, helping them with those conversations. Um, having players speak, having players on Twitter, I think is awesome. I think it's just being public about what they're doing and, and continuing to encourage players to speak out um, and, and kind of further investigate what parts of the Iowa culture led to this happening. What I guess would you, what do you see as some of like the, the ripple effects of this whole situation, regardless of if the investigation binds anything or not, like in terms of just with Iowa? Uh, with Iowa, there are going to be a, a million and ten ripple effects. I think that you're going to have to take a look at all members of the coaching staff at this point. Like Doyle, from the tweets we saw, Doyle was obviously the, the main person that, that players seemed to have an issue with, the person who kind of acted the most inappropriately. But there were other names mentioned. You have to look into that. Um, I'm not saying you have to get rid of everybody. And I know you guys know I'm alluding to Brian Ferentz here. A lot mm -hmm. of people called him out. Um, you, you have to take a look at that behavior now and, and kind of investigate everyone. Kirk Ferentz needs to investigate himself. How mm -hmm. did I let this slip? How did I not notice this? Did I notice it? Like it's the ripple effects are everyone is on the hot seat in their own way, shape or form because everyone who's been a part of that program for the past X amount of years didn't see this happen or they did see this happen and they didn't do anything. Recruiting wise, it's going to have an impact. Um, and I won't even say that impact is going to be necessarily negative. The kind of camaraderie and, and the how much Iowa just seems to be together at this point is such a good look for the team. Um, the, the steps that Iowa has been taking to say, Hey, like we don't want this to happen again. This isn't our program. That's a great look. So Recruiting wise, it could, I think it could go both ways. I think it could really be like black athletes are going to feel comfortable and confident coming to Iowa because I know mm -hmm. these changes are being made. Um, and also the ripple effect of this happened at Iowa. That's not where I want to go. I think that you're going to see a real increase, not in just Iowa football, athlete, uh, the football team, but in Iowa athletics in general with the graduation rate for black athletes being so low it's really going to, you're going to see that entire athletic department change based off what happened with the football team. Yeah. And when you touched on recruiting there, I was going to ask Pete, because Pete, you did a story on Deuce Hogan and Deuce fired off a tweet kind of during the whole thing when he was asked if, you know, everything was all right with the program. I don't know if you wanted to talk about that or not, but I think that's an interesting viewpoint from him. Yeah. He just, as you mentioned, and as you probably saw, he said that they're the uh, tightest recruiting class in the country right now, and they intend to uh, keep it that way. And when I talked to him, he just kind of fully understood that kind of and just took ownership, not, not only for uh, his 2020 class, but he mentioned how important the uh, future classes are along with just the, the uh, momentum that they uh, picked up in recruiting in recent weeks. And he knows that they're going to be uh, teammates in the future. If you need a guy during this not great time for, for your uh, program, Deuce Hogan seems like a perfect fit to just kind of help you get through it. 100%. Obviously, like the, the football players haven't been allowed to tweet up until now, but he has been so vocal on Twitter, even back from like when he was being first recruited. Like he's just a very, he's a vocal leader, at least on social media. And to have that sort of leadership 
from, you know, your quarterback is, is a big thing too. And, and he, just an incoming freshman too. Exactly. Like he gets it. I think that sort of leadership and almost, I wouldn't say accountability because Hogan, you know, isn't in the program or, you know, at the time of this, and he had nothing to do with it, but still being able to sort of take that leadership, like you said, Pete, as an incoming freshman is pretty big. Yeah. I think just, just a kind of acknowledging what has happened with, with the uh, program and just being so confident I guess that they're going to get through it together. It's just re- really big for for the future, I think. I think having these conversations in general is important, right? These conversations probably should have been had sooner. But I think in addition to those conversations, you need someone to lead you in that new positive direction. So I'm just really happy to see that Deuce is stepping up into that role. Adam, we talked a little bit about fallout. I know you had an interesting take about maybe a possible early retirement for one of Iowa's coaches. Yeah. So, listen, I'm, I'm not saying that Kirk retires after this year, but I think with all this, like, outside stuff and all this scrutiny, you know, deep down I think that he's a guy that wants to see things through, and especially, like, both wanting to get this resolved because – he, at least in his press conferences, he seems very genuine with what he's saying. So you'd like to think that the guy is fully behind like creating this change and where there's areas of improvement on his staff, he, he's going to make those changes. Again, also with when you mentioned recruiting, the momentum behind the 2021 class, like right now it's ninth in the country and third in the Big Ten. Like that doesn't happen with Iowa. And you would think that, you know, he would want at least to stick around for a little bit with that class as well as like you never know what the future is going to hold. That being said, though, I would not be surprised if all this sort of sped up the timetable for his retirement because Kirk Ferentz is all about football, and that's, that's who he is. But this is stuff that's non-football that's coming up in his plate of things to deal with slash mm-hmm. like improve. I really think it's something he wants to fix. I think he maybe not didn't have a blind eye to stuff, but was just sort of unaware of what was going on or didn't see it as the way the athletes did. Obviously he didn't because this stuff happened, but I wouldn't be surprised if he, this maybe kind of bumped up his retirement mm-hmm. time frame a little bit. Again, not saying he retires after this year, because I don't think that's going to happen, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's still issues surrounding the program and they're not getting fixed. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think you, you touched on something there where like Kirk has done about, I mean, Kirk has done everything that he can do at this program essentially like mm-hmm. I, I don't know that he'll I, he's, he's hit his ceiling probably for for the Iowa program so when you start to think about legacy and that's that's a big thing that I assume when you get to the point that you that Kirk Ferentz is at is something you probably think about a lot when you start considering retirement oh, yeah. um, and to retire now or even at the end of this season um, this scandal this Chris Doyle scandal is going to be a big mark if he doesn't continue to at least build a foundation where Iowa can leap from. hundred percent. I think in like, I think he's actively doing his best on the outside, at least, you know, we'll, we'll see what the investigation finds because then, you know, there's going to be, regardless of what it finds, there's going to be some decisions that need to be made. I think again, like you were saying, Henry, his legacy, I don't think he's just going to leave after this year because that would be a, again, a stain that's how people it's, you know, it's a recency. That's what people are going to remember him for in the Iowa program because the Iowa program is now, you know, national news. And unfortunately I can see some people who 
you know, aren't familiar with the program, seeing this as Kirk's legacy versus mm-hmm. what he's accomplished on and off the field and what he's done for the community. Um, so in that sense, I don't think he leaves after this year or even the next year, but I don't think it's a thing where he's sticking around coaching for, you know, 10, 15 more years. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think this is a whole separate point. The general consensus, Kirk leaves, Brian is, you know, next in line. I personally don't think he gets the keys handed to him um, and just told it's all his. I think at the very least, the university does like an out, has a search firm or does like an outside search and considers people outside the program, at least giving thought. I don't think Brian 100% gets the keys. No questions asked. No questions asked. I think the hiring of Brian Ferentz as Iowa head coach would be a very much of a a, a one step forward, two step back kind of hiring. Um, And and to be honest with you, I'm not sure that he would have made the best head coach to begin with. Um, he doesn't like, I don't know. I, I, he's not even the best OC. He's, he's <laughs> innovative by Iowa standards. Um, he has like modernized their, <laughs> by their Iowa offense. standards. <laughs> yeah. Like again, this team isn't a spread offense, you know, like three fourths college football is a spread offense. Iowa mm-hmm. is not. Iowa has sprinklings of a spread offense and you see it, especially with Nate Stanley, just how Iowa's moved to more of a passing game recently and the the playmakers they have on the outside, which you did not see years ago. But at the same time, you saw Iowa's run game regress under Brian Ferentz his first couple of years. Um, I don't know the numbers off my head, but I know for a fact, you know, the run game with Brian Ferentz was nowhere near as good as it was like back in like the heyday with like Sean Green and, you know, Mm -hmm. those group of guys. Again, I think he's helped the program. I, I really think he has as an offensive coordinator. Um, because somebody had to push Iowa in some sort of a modern direction. Mm-hmm. But again, like, I'm not going to sit here and say he's the only and top candidate for Iowa's head coaching job. I would say that if you would have asked me two weeks ago, if when Kirk left, if Brian would just be handed the keys, I'd say yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely felt like, Brian Ferentz has been groomed since he got here to take over Kirk's job once Kirk was gone. Uh, and although, like, there aren't super substantial allegations against Brian Ferentz, the fact that there are any at all really does hurt his cause here. Mm-hmm. And I do think that – I don't think that Kirk's gone within the next two, three years. I think it's going to be a little bit after that. Uh, but I think that this – this whole ordeal at Iowa, it's going to stain. It's going to leave a lasting mark. And I kind of think that Iowa is going to want to try to go out of house a little bit and and try to sort of rebrand and kind of freshen up the program and kind of get rid of that sort of stigma that's now sort of surrounding Brian Ferentz. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that any of the allegations are true. Um, You know, they're, they're not announcing anything against Brian Ferentz, but the fact that they're there and that people have seen them, uh, it, it does make a difference. Yeah, if Iowa truly wants a fresh start, it'll go for a fresh start. Mm-hmm. I, I do think, though, Kirk sticks around for a while, and I think – and maybe this is naive to me, but I, I really think that he's going to do his best to clean up the mess from Doyle and the whole situation. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Kirk's – from every interaction I've had with him, and I'm sure you guys too, he seems like a, a guy who's going to want to – see his through yeah for sure to make sure iowa comes out clean on the other side 
again, we don't have the answers. No one does right now. And I don't think we're going to get any sort of concrete steps or necessarily what direction Iowa is going to go um, until that investigation is completed. And Gary Barta this week said it would take weeks, not months. So in the next month or two, we'll probably, I would guess the next month, we, mm-hmm. you know, get some sort of a verdict on what the investigation found or what it didn't find. So, Lucy, thank you again for uh, joining us. Uh, next week, Lucy's also going to be on the podcast. We, we won't be talking Doyle with Lucy. We're going to talk more about what she does, her story, stuff like that. Maybe Barstool Lucy. Yeah. Hashtag Barstool Lucy. <laughs> Maybe talk about how Duke is going down in flames because of paying Zion Williamson. But, I have no uh, idea what you're talking about. No idea. <laughs> oh, no. Mm, that's but all. How the entire Dallas Cowboy franchise is getting the coronavirus. <laughs> yes, we're also getting the coronavirus antibodies. You keep forgetting that part. <laughs> but Lucy, thank you again for joining us this week, and we look forward to having you next week. Awesome. Can't wait to be back. Before we wrap up the podcast, we've got one final talking point that we want to share with you all. Um, this week, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers shared some photos of their new quarterback, Tom Brady, in a Buccaneers uniform. And it looks weird. It doesn't feel right. Feels like a mistake. <laughs> feels like it he- feels like that one thing that a lot of athletes do at the end of their primes. Oh. Oh. Keeper, what are you trying to say? I would go so far as to say that there, are, there is a pattern of many very notable athletes. Um, that'll switch teams at the end of their career. Not sure exactly why. I'm sure they're all for different reasons, but um, some pretty noticeable ones throughout history, actually. Should we, uh, should we talk about a few? Well, if you insist. I'll mention Michael Jordan. Oof, with the Wizards. Oh, that's a classic. Season with the Washington Wizards. Yeah. His last two seasons with the Wizards. Weird. Just strange. There's something I forgot about until literally like a couple weeks ago. Michael Vick played on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Started wild. Mm-hmm. What about Brian Scalabrini with the Chicago Bulls? <laughs> He's a to me, he'll man. always be a Boston Celtic. Same. There was a point in time where I almost got a Brian Scalabrini Bulls jersey. <laughs> I was too late to the party. That would have been lit. I think of sticking with NBA uh, – Two guys come to my mind. Patrick Ewing with the Sonics and Magic. Mm-hmm. And then Hakeem Olajuwon with the Raptors. Both of them just feel out of place. Football-wise, Joe Namath played for the Rams. Jerry Rice with the Seahawks is still also mm-hmm. very, very – Jerry, Jerry Rice for the Raiders, too. Yeah. I'll one-up you. Jerry Rice with the Broncos practice squad in 2005. <laughs> yes. yes. Randy Moss with the Tennessee Titans. Chad Ochocinco with the Patriots. Chad Ochocinco with the Dolphins when he didn't play a game. My best friend, Chad Ochocinco, just to throw Chad Ochocinco on FIFA against Pete at Pete's house. (laughs) Emmitt Smith with the Arizona Cardinals. Yep. Tracy Uh, McGrady with the New York Knicks. mm. Rasheed Wallace with the New York Knicks. Rasheed Wallace with the Atlanta Hawks for one game. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Alan Anthony with the Hawks. Alan yes. Iverson with the Memphis Grizzlies for one game. Yes. Ooh, I also got into a rabbit hole of research with Alan Iverson earlier, right? Because mm-hmm. he, you know, he had that Grizzlies stint, 
2009, which was super short, right? Yeah. He was on the bench, left for personal reasons, all that fun stuff. But in 2011, he went and played Turkish ball for Besiktas. Mm-hmm. They went to the 2011 Turkish League finals um, and lost. But in part of my research, I learned that Besiktas only has one jersey number retired. Can anybody guess who it is? How old is Allen Iverson? No. A Stefan Marbury? That was no. my next guess. I have no clue. Uh, Darren Williams. Oh, wow. Oh. Because in the NBA lockout season, 2011-2012, Darren Williams played there for a month and a half while the NBA was locked out. And Besiktas has one jersey retired, and it's Darren Williams after a month and a half, number eight. Well, wow. in the Raptors forever. Fantastic. That's a good fun fact. Speaking of Darren Williams, Darren Williams with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Ugh. Right at the um, end. Mm-hmm. I, something that's weird to me, I don't know if I already said it, but Ray Allen with the Miami Heat. Gary Payne with the Miami Heat. Mm, that's okay. a good one. And the Lakers was weird too. Carl Malone yep. with the Lakers, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that dream team that didn't end up winning. Pete Rose with the Montreal Expos. Chris Webber with the Detroit Pistons. Ugh. This is fun. I just want to keep doing this. <laughs> Julius Peppers with the Packers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Steve Smith with the Ravens. Never he still had some stuff left in the tank Ravens. with them. Though. I know he did. I never thought that I'd see him in another uniform other than Panthers uniform, though. Deion Sanders with the Ravens. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say Ed Reed with the Houston Texans. That was weird. Um, yeah. Didn't Reggie Wayne, like, play for the Patriots <laughs> in the preseason or something? Uh-huh. He did. He never played in the regular season, though. He never played a game, but he was an off-season member of them for a year. I was going to say. I was like, I don't think he even played in the And then he retired with the Colts. Brett Favre with the Jets and the Vikings. Honestly, I liked Brett Favre with the Vikings. I don't even, I'm going to catch some heat from that from you, Adam. But No, I, I – mean that one Hail Mary throw that he threw to Sidney Rice at the end of the 49ers game, I think it was – it wasn't Sidney Rice. It was some receiver. The guy literally was – I swear. Or, was it Bernard that. something? Or Hold up. I'm going to look this up. It Bernard. was not Perriman. I'm looking it up right now. Greg Lewis. Never mind. <laughs> no way that was Greg Lewis that caught that Hail Mary. Greg Lewis. I'm pretty sure that this is like the Berenstein Bears kind of thing. Where I've been dropped into an alternate universe. The, uh, it was Sydney the Rice that caught that pass. No, Sidney Rice was with I think the Seahawks at the. Oh no 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 he wasn't no he wasn't no he wasn't he was with the Seahawks after Far retired. Sidney Rice played for the Seahawks. Yeah. Point being, uh, Tom Brady. It was weird to see him in a Buccaneers jersey, and it is definitely there with everything everybody else. I think it'll end up being weirder to see Rob Gronkowski in a Buccaneers uniform. To be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, that's the, po- that's the podcast, guys. That's the pod. Great show, boys. As always, thank you for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Lucy Rodine, for coming on the podcast. Um, in summary, f*** you, Rob Manfred. Um, f*** you, Vince McMahon. F*** you, Steve Nash. Oh, I disagree. Um,